sex. How and when do I teach my child? And I really think that a lot of times what this really comes down to is what has been your experience as a young person? How did you learn about it? You know? Um, how many of you learned about sexuality through your parents? Raise your hand. Okay. So a couple of you. So a couple of you. And then how many of you learned it from your friends? All right. More. How many of you learned it at school? Okay. All right. Very nice. How many of you was it a positive experience? Like when you learned about it, it was positive. Okay, just a couple. How many of you just kind of neutral? Neutral? Okay, all right. How many of you was not a positive? Okay, all right. Now, to be honest with you, I don't think it's fair for us to launch into a topic like this without recognizing that about one in every three and one in every four boys as young men or women have been uh, inappropriately touched or approached or sexually abused. And so I think we just need to call it out. So if we lined ourselves up this morning, it would be really kind of sad to recognize that there's that much, um, uh, you know, sadness in the way human sexuality has been presented or experienced. And I think that that colors our world a lot in how we approach our children or our grandchildren is because we're like, how do we do this? I don't want it to be done the way it happened to me. So what do we do? And we want to answer that this morning. Absolutely. So our story, how did we learn? It's important for us to reflect on that. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to present a scenario to you this morning. So bear with me here. Let's pretend that all of us in this room, we are working on an assembly line. And on this assembly line, we are manufacturing stainless steel heart valves. I'm a nurse, so we use stainless steel heart valves when we have to replace a faulty valve in people's hearts. And so we are all on an assembly line. And let me ask you this. What are we wearing, do you think? Okay, we're wearing scrubs. What else? I mean, we're dealing with something that's going to go in someone's body. So what else? All right, gloves. What else? Masks. Hair covering, right? And our scrubs, are, you know, they have those sleeves that come all the way down so that we don't want one particle of any of us to get on that conveyor belt, right, as it goes through. We're packaging these stainless steel heart valves, and we're putting them in sterile um, packaging. Everything is going along as, as planned. But all of a sudden, we realize as we're working, it's gotten a little warm in the room. We're kind of layered up, right? And somebody starts to drip a drop of sweat onto the conveyor belt. What do we do? We stop the line, don't we? We say, stop. There's been a contamination. Okay, and what happens? We come in and we disinfect the whole area. Any of those heart valves that may have touched that get sent to be sterilized. I mean, we're just very fastidious about everything because you know what? When someone's chest is cracked open, that stainless steel heart valve is put in there. We do not want any infection, right? I want to tell you today that the two institutions in the Word of God that are most sacred and special and holy and set apart by Him are marriage and the Sabbath. And that includes sexuality because that's a very important part of marriage. Uh, my mother used to say that marriage is like it has five spokes. 
And there's all these different aspects that make up a healthy marriage. But she said one of those folks is sex and how we enter into that relationship. But because there's been so much perversion, because it's so special to God, Satan has made it very much a focus of his intentionally bringing pain and suffering in this area. Would you agree? And then he's also exaggerated. Like in America, you're not even living if you're not having sex. I mean, there's Viagra, there's there's Viagra for women, there's everything you can imagine out there to make sure that when you're 80, you're still going strong. It's sad in a sense. It's become so aggrandized. In fact, it sells cars, boats, you name it, right? So it's become very overly um, accentuated. But the other thing is there's been a lot of ugliness about it. There's pornography, there's all kinds of, there's trafficking, there's a lot of ugliness. And so I think as a Christian, sometimes, especially if you've had a negative experience, you may have a tendency to just kind of want to do away with it altogether. Or how in the world do I approach this when perhaps it was a painful thing for me? So we want to stop and say, we need to recognize our story. We need to also recognize that this gives us perhaps uh, a skewed reference about human sexuality And then how do we change that? How do we allow the Lord to change that and give us a different picture so then we can present sex to our children, our grandchildren, in a way that it was originally meant to be? I can only imagine when Adam and Eve were created and as Friday evening came, I can only imagine that God himself sat down and explained things to them. Either that or he imbued them with the the knowledge that they already knew. But I know that it was a a very holy conversation, and it was a wonderful thing. And But you can say to me, Tammy, that's really hard to see because of my reference. But I want to tell you a story that will perhaps become a new reference for you. So what do we do? How should we do it? How will we do it? So let's think about this. The only experience really that I can share with you is honestly my story. And it really started out with celebrating development. Sexuality is not just about having sex, right? It's who you are, the differences between men and women, how we are all made up, how hormones work, work, what ovaries do, what testicles do, what a vagina does, what what a uterus does, all of those kinds of things. So it's absolutely an education about the body, right? Well, I just remember when I was a young girl, my mother talking to us, you know, we would see her feminine napkins or things, and we'd ask her what that was for. And as we grew older, she would tell us about things. But my mother was wise. She always thought about what is the question and how am I going to answer? Like little Johnny, you may have seen the cartoon who runs in and says, Mommy, Mommy, where did I come from? And the mother's doing dishes, and all of a sudden, she turns pale and begins to tremble because she's like, this is the moment I have to have the talk. And he's like, where did I come from? Where did I come from? And she's now sweating a little bit. And then he says, well, Timmy came from Arizona. Where am I from? So sometimes it's really important for us to stop and think, what is the question being asked? You don't want to answer too much. So it really should be something that happens a little at a time. Does that make sense? As we go on. Now, I have to tell you, I was my mother's most curious child. 
I was the oldest of seven. She said at 18 months, she could not, my dad could not take me into the bathtub to bathe me and hand her out. I wanted to wash him everywhere. And I would throw a fit if I couldn't. So that was the end of that, you know. She was just very, I was just very curious about things. And as more brothers and sisters came along, I was very curious about the differences between brothers and sisters. I practiced trying to go potty the way they did. It just didn't work. But I thought that would be so handy, you know. And I just remember I was just very curious about things and I would ask her questions. Well, why do they have this and why do they have that? And this is how my mother taught me. She would say, see those little sacks? That's what holds sperm. Sperm I look like little pollywogs. And um, so that, that, you know, and as I got older, she would talk about different things. But I remember the day that I decided I had to know. I lived, we lived on a farm. So we saw cows and horses and chickens and ducks. And you know, pretty soon you're like, no, surely not. But that's how their babies are made. So I wonder, how does that work? Now I knew my parts, I knew what they were made. I knew that my vagina was a little baby hole, so that's where the baby would come out. But I didn't know how it would get there in the first place. And so I began to be curious. And my, six, my sister, who is 16 months younger than I, one dark night, we stayed up trying to figure this out. Finally, we decided we better ask mother. And I think that right there is the important thing. My mother was a person who had no shock value. You couldn't shock her. You couldn't surprise her. She would just tell you um, whatever you ask in the most nonchalant way as if it happened every day. And so we knew we could ask her. So we went and woke her up. She and my dad had already went to sleep. I'm telling you, we stayed up late trying to figure this out. Mama, Mama, we need to talk to you. So she got out. I'll, I'll never forget. She got up and she came and sat on the couch. And I remember the moonlight coming through the window on her dark, dark hair. My dad was Scandinavian. My mom had dark hair. And she's sitting there on the couch. And we said, Mama, how are babies made? And I'll never forget how serious she looked. She looked very serious. She said, oh, I'm going to tell you. It's a wonderful story. But it's very holy and it's very special. And you must promise me that you will not share it with any other child. Nobody at school, if people ask you, you say, you need to ask your mom and dad. We said, okay. By now we were all eyes and ears. So she sat down and she said, the daddy puts his penis into the little place where the baby comes out. And the and there's these little sperm, they look like pollywogs, and they swim. And they swim and they swim and they swim. And then there's a there's an egg that the mother's body makes. And the egg is coming down the little slide. And the little sperms all gather round. And the one that God wants to enter goes in, and a baby starts to be made. And it begins to grow and grow. And by now I'm like, oh, you know, I was probably, I was trying to think about how old I was. I think I was eight, eight or nine. And, and she was just like telling me this animated story and how the baby grows and grows and grows. And finally, when it's time, the baby comes out. And it's so wonderful. And I had plenty, being the oldest of seven of brothers and sisters. So I knew what a marvelous thing it was to bring home a new baby. But I just remember beginning to worry because that didn't sound like something I ever wanted to do. And so the next question was very important. You see, as a child, as a young person, I always want to be like my mother. 
I did. I admired her so much. So I asked her, what's it like? I mean, isn't that a great question? Especially from a curious person. What is it like for you, Mom? Oh, she said, it's better than ice cream. <laughs> she said, with the right person at the right time, it's better than ice cream. Well, I knew my mother loved ice cream. She used to brag she could eat a whole half gallon by herself. Oh she never did it. Maybe she had already gone through what Pastor Doug did last time in his sermon. But she never did it, but she loved ice cream. So I was really taken aback. Wow. But she said, um, let me ask you a question. Let's look at baby Troy. Troy was about six weeks old. We, she said, what if we bent over his bassinet? And we said, Troy, someday you're going to jump rope and hopscotch and ride a tricycle and ride a bike. And what would he say if he could talk? We were like thinking about this. She said, if he could talk, he'd look up and say, are you kidding me? I can't even turn over, right? So she said, we don't need to burden him with that. all the things he'll do. He'll do those naturally. And it's the same way. You don't need to worry about it. And I said, well, can, I, can we live with you and Daddy forever? Yes. She said, you can live with us forever. But Tammy, it's not like that. It's just like hopscotch and bi riding a tricycle and then a bicycle. It's something that happens naturally as you grow up. So it's nothing to worry about. But if you ever decided you didn't want to get married, of course you wouldn't have to get married. That just was good for me. But it was really in the back of my mind at how wonderful this experience was with the right person at the right time. My mom taught us about everything, music, sexuality, um, dating, what to do and what not to do. She didn't say, don't do this and don't do that. She said things like this. Children, as we became teenagers, wouldn't it be so romantic as if the first guy you ever kissed was your husband? Wouldn't that be so romantic as if you saved all of your kisses for him? I mean, really, why would you want to waste any on someone you wouldn't end up with? She used to say things like, you girls are like beautiful hothouse plants. And when you go to a solarium that shows off all these beautiful plants, there's these little signs that say, don't touch the petals. And the reason is when you touch them and handle them, they turn brown because they weren't meant to be handled. She said, that's just the same it is with you. God didn't make you to experiment with everyone. He wanted you to save something so special for your husband, for your wedding night. Those were the things that she, that's how she taught us. Oh, children, she said, only put music in your mind that's the very best because your father is the king of kings and your mind is where he lives. His throne room is in your mind. So always choose the very best. And if you're not sure, just leave it alone. It's not worth it. She used to give messages like that in a very, very positive way. But at this age, when I became a teenager, I'll never forget when I started developing. And I started developing little breasts. And she made it such a big, fun thing that we went to the store and bought a little bra. It was so exciting. I remember I camped out with my sisters in the backyard that night. I wore my bra to bed. And I, I would put myself up on my elbows and stick out my chest. And I was so excited. Now, the next day when I played volleyball and I had to always reach up and pull it down, it wasn't so fun. <laughs> but I remember how exciting it was to wear a bra. When I started my period, my mother baked a cake. She said, oh, 
my little girl is becoming a woman. And she baked a cake and then the cramps set in. I was like, this is not fun. But I remember my dad going to the store and needing to buy some feminine protection. And her saying, Daddy, I'll take you to the store and you go ahead and go in and buy it. We got to the store and I was like, there's no way I'm going in there. They'll know. And I'm not going to check out at the counter with this stuff. So I said, Daddy, will you go in and buy it? He goes, yeah, but what, what do you want? I said, whatever you pick out is fine. <laughs> and Daddy, will you make sure they put it in a brown bag? He said, I will. And he came back very discreetly. He was so kind. So I love that I had a relationship with my parents where there wasn't this dark secret or this thing where we're not going to tell Daddy you started. I mean, you can if you're, you're... My daughter was actually very private. I'm not, as you can already tell. But my daughter was like, Mom, do not tell Dad I started. And I said, oh, sissy, you'd want to know. No. I said, well, okay. And then she's like, Dad, did Mom tell you I started? <laughs> but anyway, and I baked a cake. I did the whole thing. She wasn't quite as enthusiastic. But I still think it's very important that we um, do things at different places. I have to tell you that our son is more the drama king in our of the two. Our daughter was a breeze to raise. She was just not an emotional roller coaster. He was. But when he started growing hair in places he hadn't before, I'll never forget him running down the stairs, carefully moving everything aside so all I would see is what was growing. Mom, look! I'm growing hair. I was like, wow, that's awesome. You are becoming a young man. It's so exciting, Mom. I think I'm going to have more than Dad. And I'm like, when did you ever see Dad? <laughs> so we just raised our kids in a home where it wasn't a shameful thing. It was an exciting thing as you went through different phases of development. And we celebrated those things because that's how God intended it. It wasn't something to be embarrassed about. Now, we wouldn't want to go to school and share all that. I wanted to back up just a little bit, though. Um, we talked about where did I come from. But I think one of the ways that we have that relationship and connection with our children is it starts when they're very young. And it's never too late. But one thing that I did with my children is every night I took turns laying down with them. So when I have, we'd have family worship, usually it was just the three of us because my husband it was busy uh, doing, you know, ministry in the evening. He's very busy. So breakfast was our worship time together as a family. But at night, I would have worship with them, and then I'd put them to bed, and I'd lay down on my son's bed one night, and the next night I'd lay down on my daughter's bed. That's when I got to know their heart. The light is out. We're laying there in the dark. And I say, honey, how was your day? Oh, mom, good. But they would start to talk. Same with her daughter. So I, I had that connection with them. And we just talked about anything and everything they wanted to. And I think that made a really, a really good place. The other thing is, whatever they ask you might be kind of shocking. You might be like, oh, whoa, how am I going to do this? So I'll give you an example. My mom was really great about talking and sharing all this stuff. But I remember being a teenager and wanting to know what my dad thought about sex. Now, the reason I mention my mother more so is because your mom's, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, which was a blessing to me. But she was the one that was around a lot, and so I could talk to her. Whereas my dad worked a lot. But I remember I'd go to the, into, he was a logger. I'd go into the woods with him, sometimes in the summer, because he really needed someone with him in case something went wrong, they could call or something like that. So I used to go logging with my dad sometimes. And uh, as we're driving in the log truck, I was like, so dad, I got to ask you a question. 
That's probably about 16. What's that, Tam? So what's sex like for you? And I just remember he about <laughs> drove off the road, I think. I mean, he just looked out the window for a long time. Pretty soon he looked back. He didn't grow up like my mom did. And he looked back and he goes, well, what did your mother say? And so I told him, and he said, yeah, it's about like that. <laughs> so I think it's really important to develop that trust where you can talk about anything. I recall coming home from church one time, and you have to understand, I'm 55, so that I want to tell you my age for a reason. When I came home from church this one, uh, with this one time, one of the young women in our church was pregnant, and she wasn't married. And back then, it was way more of a deal. You know, it was um, more unusual. Um, and I just remember saying to her, oh, did you know Pam's pregnant? And she's not married. And my mother said, oh, sissy, we could do that. And I said, we could. She said, yes, given the right set of circumstances and the right, in this right situation, we could, we could fall in that area. I used to think, oh, there's no way. And then I remember learning about homosexuality and coming home and saying, oh, Mom, did you know? She said, we can do that. I was like, mm-mm. She said, oh, yeah. Timmy, listen to me. The only person in the whole world you ever need to be afraid of is yourself. Because really and truly, sometimes if we get away from Jesus or if we start making choices and going down a certain road, we can end up doing things we never dreamed we would do. And so I began to recognize that as much as it was wonderful to want to save myself and wait to my wedding night and all these wonderful values that my mother put forth in such a romantic and wonderful, positive way, I recognized that I needed help. That in order to be successful, I would need the Lord to help me. And so that's what I, how I tried to present things to my children as well. I tried to present them as, these are choices, these are all roads, and they lead places. And you have to decide, where do I want to go? Where do I want to end up? And I remember when I would date that my mother would say things like this. Sissy, when you go out, she said, think about a couple of things. One is, what I want this man's character imprinted on my children. Is this a man that I can trust, that my heart can trust? Is this someone that I can respect, that I can really trust my heart with and also live the rest of my life really respecting him? Do we have the same goals and values? Do we have the same belief system? Do we want to raise our children the same? Those kinds of things. And you know, it really did, it was helpful for me to really stop and think about those things. I remember when I went to Walla Walla College um, as a freshman, the senior class president asked me out. Oh, the dorm was a buzz. And everyone, it seemed like, wanted to date him. He was very good looking. He was popular in the school. And he asked me out, and I just thought it was so exciting. Until I got into his truck. And we went, and we went to a drive-in, like A&W or something. I can't even remember what we ate. But afterwards, he wanted to go to a specific place at Walla Walla campus, off the campus, where you could park. And I said, oh, no, that's not what I had in mind. And he said, well, I just bought you supper. <laughs> and I said, and? And then I remembered, you know, what my mom said. And it was a little scary for me because he was pretty uh, persistent. And I said to him, can I ask you a question? 
if, I, if I'm dying of cancer someday, do you want to sit by my bed and take care of me? He looked at me. I said, do you want to be the father of my children? And do you want to? And he was like, what? And I said, then why would you want to make out with me? Why? He's like, you are strange. I said, no, I, I really don't want to make out with someone I'm not going to be with for the rest of my life. And I hardly know you. I said, so I'd like it if you just took me back to the dorm. He did, but before he dropped me off, he said, so am I to take this that you've never kissed anyone? I said, nope, I'm saving my kisses. He said, well, you're not getting out of my truck until you kiss me. And I said, so you do want to be the father of my children and sit by me when I am dying of cancer. And he goes, all right, get out. And you know, it was interesting from then on, I got very different dates. So word must have gotten around, I don't know. But the point is, I just really credit my parents, my mother, for not telling me. Instead, she made it like, you're going to miss out if you don't wait, if you don't save it. And so I've been so blessed to have listened to her. And you know, when I present to academy or youth, I say to them, it's never too late to start. Maybe you've made mistakes. Maybe you're, maybe you have made mistakes and you haven't heard it this way. And you'd like to, you want that. You can start now. That's the beautiful thing about God. He has a way of erasing slates and making them all brand new. He has a way of presenting us as a beautiful bride. And I love that. And I did wait. My husband's lips are the only man's lips I've ever kissed, except my brother-in-law, who insists on kissing all of us on the lips. <laughs> but he's, he's harmless. He's just something. Anyway, but my point is, my point is I saved it because, and it's been so wonderful. In fact, it has been so wonderful. One of the things is um, when we did kiss, when he asked me to marry him, and that's another whole story, I just remember we were standing out under the stars. And we were standing by the creek that ran by my parents' home. And he took me in his arms and he said, can I kiss you? And I said, yes. I said, but I'm shy. And, I, I, and he kissed my forehead and he kissed my cheeks and he kissed my nose and he kissed my chin. And then he kissed me and the earthquake and the stars fell. <laughs> it was awesome. And he said, are you sure you've never kissed? I said, no, but my mom said it would come naturally. No, I, at first I said, do we have to stop? And he said, yes. Are you sure you've never kissed? I said, no, but my mom said it would come naturally. And I've made up for lost time. I'm still making up for lost time. Okay, so it is a wonderful thing. Talk about the exciting possibilities of making something that God made to be very beautiful and meaningful in a positive way. Don't make it dirty. And, um, and sad. And this brings us to my mother's secret. Her secret was prayer. She begged God from the time she had her babies that he would tell her when to tell us. She said, God, please, please don't let them learn it at school. Please don't let them learn it in the gutter. Please don't let them learn it from a nasty or dirty-minded person. Please, Father, put a hedge of protection around my children's sexuality. Help me to be able to be their teacher. Help me and their father too. The week that my sister and I woke her up and asked her how babies were made, two days later I went to school and a little boy at recess approached me. And I don't remember this, but the teacher overheard it. And he said, do you know how babies are made? I said, yes, I do, but it's very private and it's very special and you need to go ask your mom. <laughs> and so the teacher called my mom and told her that. And she told me how proud she was of me. 
So when there were children who wanted to talk dirty or whatever, I didn't need to. There was nothing curious about it. I could ask my mom anything and she would tell me. She would tell me everything. And so I think that is a secret. Um, that was the secret of her success. I think one of the fears of telling children, young people, that sex is better than ice cream, it's only fair to say, but what if they don't wait or they won't wait? And what if I make them more curious by what I tell them? What if it's not the right time? And I love um, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs. Don't forget to thank him for his answers. If you do this, the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will keep your hearts at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. To me, that promise covers about anything you would need it to cover in rearing your children or grandchildren. I love that. The other one you're very familiar with probably is Isaiah 30, 21. And you, and put your name there, that word is for you. And Tammy will hear a voice behind her saying, this is the way, walk in it, when she turns to the left and when she turns to the right. So I love that. God is going to whisper in our ears, when is the right time, when we should speak, and how we should speak to our children. And then, of course, James 1.5. If any of us lack wisdom, we can ask of God who gives it liberally, and he doesn't hold back. So I believe with all my heart, we don't need to be afraid. You know, and that's 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear or timidity about anything, but he's given us power and love and a sound mind. So he will help us not to be afraid of broaching the subject, but to be able to hit it head on. And I think it's fair to be honest sometimes with our children or grandchildren. And when they ask our experiences to say, you know, unfortunately, mommy or daddy, we didn't hear it that way. But this is the way God intended it. It's a beautiful thing. The two, excuse me, become one. And also God himself, he represents his church as his bride, a very intimate thing. And about him coming and taking us back to heaven with him. And about what it means to be one with Jesus and to be in Christ. And it's really hard to even imagine sex as being something holy in this day and age. But it really is very holy. My mother used to say, Tammy, sex can be as casual as a handshake. Here, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Or it can be as amazing and phenomenal as you make it to be, waiting, saving it, and making it very special. She used to say the same thing about a kiss. Kisses can be nothing. They can mean nothing. But they can mean everything and be extremely special to you. And that was my experience. Now, I remember dating a guy. I was praying he'd be the one. I had this list of what I was looking for in a man. He didn't quite measure up, but I figured he'd change. Anybody ever thought of that? Oh, he'll change, right? And I just remember my mom saying, it's so important that we agree on as many things as possible because there'll be plenty of things to work out when you get married. And I just remember his choice of what he would watch wasn't the same as mine, his music, things like that. But I was really praying he'd be the one. And one night we were sitting out in his parents' um, swing under the trees looking over the lake, um, and his parents had gone to bed, and he put his arm around me, and I knew he wanted to kiss me, and I wanted to kiss him. But I, the Lord had helped me so much with the desire of my heart, I'd ask him to help me save it. 
So I stood up and I said, well, it's getting late. I suppose we should, you know, turn in. I went to bed that night and I cried. I remember I pounded the pillow with my fist. And I said, Lord, it better be worth waiting for because I really missed it out there. I didn't miss anything. He wasn't the one. And I'm just so happy that I waited. I would regret it to this day had I given away my first kiss to someone who really now I look back and think, oh, thank you, Lord, for, for sending me the right person. So I think as we tell our children these kinds of stories and encourage them, it'll be a wonderful thing. And sexuality has been a beautiful thing in, in, to me. My husband didn't learn the same. He'll tell you he was a heathen. He didn't save himself. And so it's very different. But I tell you, um, it's just, he said, I wished I would have known. He said, you know, Tammy, even when you're a heathen and you don't know Jesus, you still know it's wrong. You still do. And he said, I am so sorry that I didn't save myself for you. And I said, but God put us together and we are so happy together. He's worth it. I always did think that I'd marry someone who had uh, made the same decisions I did. But, you know, he is a new creature in Christ. And that was so evident. It was so evident. So praying for wisdom, ask God to reset your thinking. If you've had experiences that have been very tragic and sad, ask God to reset your thinking. It's very important that he heal your mind in those areas. If you learned it or have experienced it in a dirty way, you want him to heal your mind. Also pray for a divine appointment with your child or grandchildren. Child, Say, Lord, you know the perfect time. Arrange circumstances and situations whereby they will ask me or I'll have an opportunity or I'll know when to do it. And then God will do that for you. Absolutely. And then thank God for the success. Start thinking him ahead of time. It's wonderful. You know what? Um, just yesterday, there was a stressful situation that was going to happen that I was really worried about. I claimed promises. I prayed about it. And then I was trying to leave it in the Lord's hands, but it just kind of put a knot in my stomach. And um, I remember the Lord prompting me, Tammy, start praising me. You've already claimed the promise. You've already prayed about it. Now thank me for the answer. <gasps> okay. And I didn't really feel like it, but I started praising him. And did you know, it turned out better than I could have, that I even prayed, prayed that it would. So God is so good. We can trust him. But he gets sad if, if uh, we ask him for things that are good and wholesome and you know it's his will. And then we go around just trembling in fear in case he won't. And I think it's the same way with a child. I would be so sad if my children didn't trust me. And they never really trusted what I said. Not a good thing. So thank the Lord. Thank the Lord that he is going to give the next generation, that you can be the one to stop the line. You can be the one to stop this nonsense of creating this do-do-do-do taboo thing about sexuality and that you're able to talk about it to your children and create a whole new experience for them. You can do that. So you can thank the Lord for that. This is actually a quote my husband and I have been using at our uh, marriage seminar. We do at 2 o'clock um, every day this week. Prayer is the answer to how many problems in life? Every single one. It puts us in tune with divine wisdom, which knows how to adjust everything perfectly. So often we don't pray in certain situations because from our standpoint, the outlook is hopeless. But nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is so entangled that it cannot be remedied. No human relationship is too strained for God to bring about reconciliation and understanding. No habit so deep-rooted that it cannot be overcome. 
No one is so ill, ill that he cannot become healed. No mind so dull that it cannot be made brilliant. Whatever we need, if we trust God, he will supply it. If anything is causing worry or anxiety, let us stop rehearsing the difficulty and trust God for healing, love, and power. You know, I didn't, I'm not sure how I am on time. There's no clock. Okay. Um, about how much longer do I have? <clears throat> Okay. Oh, there it is. Thank you. Thank you. All right. There's something that I'd like to share with you that I didn't plan on, but I feel impressed to do it, so I'm going to. Um, you know, in, in my ministry, in our ministry, we've had the opportunity to um, provide counseling and support to a lot of couples. Couples that ha are, have extremely broken things, we definitely send them to people who specialize in those. But... Um, what I have found is uh, when I've taught on sexuality in my own experience and my, my story, what I have found is that <clears throat> I have women come to me, um, and I'm sure men have some of the same issues, but women will come to me and say, you know, Tammy, I, I, it's very sad, but I can't have sex with my husband. I have been so damaged by a prior relationship. Or, or one woman in particular talked to me about... <clears throat> Um, her father molesting her and how that it just brings up so much pain and so many terrible memories that she hasn't been able to make love to her husband for years. And I'll never forget as she shared her story, pleading with the Lord to give me some bit of wisdom for her because I don't have any wisdom, uh, but God does, right? And I thought, how is it? And she said, it's so sad. I'll be sitting with my husband at the couch, on the couch, and I'll put my hand over on his knee, and he just looks so sad because he would like nothing more than to take me in his arms. And I, I can't go there. And um, she said, because every time I close my eyes when we're ha having sex, she said, I can see my father. And she said, I can't handle it. I just can't. And she said, you know, I, I just can't. And she said, you know, he used to pin me down, and it was just a terrible thing. And as I was praying, the Lord just really gave me something. I said to her, so are you telling me that you would love to have, you would love to make love to your husband, but you are not able to because of, of these things? And she said, yes, I would. I feel so sad that it's been so long. I said, then why don't you just reverse everything that happened to you? In other words, you were out of control. Your father was in control. He would pin you down. You close your eyes. Why don't you just reverse all that? Your husband won't mind. Why don't you light the candles? Why don't you make the invitation? Why don't you be on top? Why don't you keep your eyes open and look at his face? She had never thought of that. So I just want to throw that out there. That might be helpful to some of you. We need to recognize that you can take those reins. And she said, she said to me, I'm sure he won't mind. <laughs> and uh, so what was wonderful is um, this was in another state, but at camp meeting in, the next, in this other state, when I saw her the next time, she gave me a big hug and she said, he doesn't mind at all, and it's a totally different experience. <laughs> so God can heal the most brokenness in these areas. It is his will for you that you would be a whole person, that you would experience all of his gifts, all of his gifts, his gifts of salvation, but also his wonderful gifts of living here in this earth as a reflection of his character to our spouses 
and to each other and being able to give that testimony that God can heal that brokenness. He can help you to have a beautiful experience, even in the midst of ashes and sadness. And so I have found that there can be a lot of healing with that. Um, you know, it's one thing to choose to forgive someone. It's one thing to try to move on and do your very best. But I want to submit to you that God doesn't want you just to tolerate. God wants you to enjoy the very best that he has for you. All right, so God's ways are fullness of life. He wants to give us a full and wonderful life in every area of our lives. He wants us to have a wonderful, beautiful thing. And I think I would just encourage you to imagine um, one of the things that I think also bring pain and sexuality is that sometimes people have experiences where they're asked to do things that aren't comfortable for them in, in a marriage relationship. And so I always tell people that there's three criteria um, for a healthy sexual expression in your marriage. Three criteria that I think really set the tone and they're represented in the Word of God. And if you meet these three criteria, anything goes. Are you ready? Number one is, never ever would you expect your partner to do anything in a sexual way that is uncomfortable for them or you. Okay? So in other words, both people have to be very comfortable in expressing their love. You see, <clears throat> sex can be something that is hurtful and lusty and totally not an act of love. Would you agree? But really and truly, when we have sex, when we make love to our spouse, we absolutely, it should be an expression of love. It should be actions of loving not actions of, okay, how can we make this more whatever, weird, okay? So it needs to be mutually, mutually a beautiful thing. Number two is you would never want to sin against God or your body, okay? So there are some things that are absolutely not appropriate, okay? And I teach you these things, you're like, okay, this was a class on how to teach my kids, but I am because as I teach you these things, your children and teenagers will ask you these questions and you want to talk to them about it. It is absolutely a sin to have anal sex. It is. You know how I know? I'm a nurse. I see people in the ER all the time with tears, with infection because they've gone from the anus to the vagina, with all kinds of terrible things. God did not make for penises to go in rectums. It was not made to be that way. In fact, part of the issue with AIDS is that tissue being damaged there and infection getting into the body. There's a lot of different thing, levels of, of, of disease that result from that. So that is absolutely taboo, okay? Then people ask me about, uh, a lot of times they'll come and ask me about oral sex. And I have to tell you, I, I wonder when we're told by the prophet not to participate in animal-like passions. I, I tend to wonder about that. Again, I want you to use the criteria that I'm sharing with you, and I'm not here to tell you what to do. I used to. I used to tell people this is right and this is wrong when there was gray areas. And the Lord impressed me one time. Tammy, you know what? I talked to them too. You don't need to tell them what to do. You just need to send them to me. They can pray. But let me tell you that we do have a lot of uh, issues with throat nodules and things where the wrong bacteria is coming from the wrong place. So we have problems with things in the mouth infecting down there and things down there infecting in the throat and mouth. So there are issues medically 
that I can definitely document and tell you that are concerns for me about that. But you know what? I leave that between you and the Lord because the third criteria is no matter what happens in your bedroom or when you're making love, that you would be able to invite the Lord Jesus Christ to come sit on the edge of your bed because it is a holy convocation. It's a holy thing. So if you can invite the Lord Jesus, if what you are doing is safe and healthy, if what you are doing is mutually agreed upon as a loving act, then anything goes. I really believe those three principles will be most helpful in, uh, in, your, sexual, in your sexual experience. Any questions about that? Any questions? Those are just some things that I think are, are really important to understand. Yes? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's the act of, of um, you know, giving love, right? Uh-huh. And then, like, how do you have that conversation with your children about orgasms? And, and should that be a part of every love-making act? Is that the goal of a love-making act? Is it like one partner to always cover and the other partner to be like, how do you sort of... Good question. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, again, you know, a lot of times those are questions that I had and discussions I had with my mom, uh, especially when I was getting married, you know, and we talked about that. Um, I'm going to tell you a really funny story. Actually, Tim LaHaye wrote a book, old book, called The Act of Marriage. It's really good. You can get it on Amazon. It's very, very good about talking about the differences between a woman's body and a man's body and how orgasm is achieved and all of those kinds of things. So I think, uh, so my husband and I, we were engaged, right? And I'll never forget one day, we're sitting in the living room chatting, and my mom said, so Patrick, do you know how to satisfy a woman? I got up and left. I was like, I cannot believe my mother. But you have to understand, my husband and my mother love each other. They, he adored her. And she was very comfortable, obviously, in talking about anything to anyone. And um, he said, Mother dear, I think I do. But I was out the door. I was like, you all just have your conversation. That was a little too much for me. So um, I will tell you that most couples do not achieve mutual orgasm just through intercourse. A lot of times um, a woman will need clitoral stimulation. And uh, by the way, especially as you age and you go through menopause, something to tick to tuck away in your cap is um, coconut oil is wonderful. It's an antifungal, antibacterial, antiviral, and it's very healing for the tissues. And when you go through when sorry, when you go through menopause, a lot of times a lot of your natural secretions kind of aren't there. And you can use coconut oil, and it's just a wonderful medium. That's a commercial tip there. But um, uh, so anyway, so we advise couples, especially premarital counseling. Oh, I got to tell you this. The other day, my husband and I did premarital counseling for an 82 and an 87-year-old. Um, it was sweet. And um, you know what? We were not shy. We said, now let's talk about sex. They were like, okay. And we were like, okay, do you know about clitoral stimulation? Do you know about how to satisfy your wife and how that she's a, a slow cooker and you're a microwave and all that? And I said, this is probably way TMI for your agent because they've both been married for years prior to their spouse's death. And they said, no, we want to hear it. They wanted to know. So it was really good. So we shouldn't assume those kinds of things. Your question about should one and not the other. You know, I love to make love to my husband. And you know, if I happen to be tired 
he, I'm good. I'm happy to love him. And vice versa, honestly. Because people have different, um, people have different appetites or different whatever. And so I love that. Now, do I think that it should be extreme? I mean, I knew a couple, he expected every night or he suspected her. That's just wrong. I mean, in my opinion, my not so humble opinion, you know what I mean? Even um, Ellen tells us a lot about being temperate in all things. And I've heard, you know, throughout our ministry, I've met preachers who actually would say once a month or whatever. I'm not into that. I just think that that we don't need to be dictatorial. Your relationship with God and your husband is all you need to understand frequency and all of that kind of thing. So um, so I think it's very important to teach. Uh, and you know what? I just believe with all my heart that a, a godly man will want to satisfy his wife and will receive a lot of pleasure from doing that. Amen? I see you men nodding your heads. Yes! But I know wives who are not comfortable with telling their husband what is pleasurable, what isn't, or they feel stressed like they have to hurry. No! It's a pleasure. You should, you you know, both of you. And I believe God intended it that way. Now, maybe Adam and Eve, it just happened easier. I don't know. But I do think that knowing God, he... He likes me to be patient with the fact that my husband cannot find anything. <laughs> you know? He just can't. I'm the finder. In fact, I, it's not fair to genderize, but I would dare say that there's a lot of consistency in that, that a lot of times men put things in thing, places and they can't find them, and we are great finders. And I believe God ordained that my husband would be patient with me because I can't have an orgasm in two seconds, right? And vice versa. So I just think it's a, it's a beautiful thing. We're told in the book Adventist Home, God puts people together for the saving of each other. Is that not beautiful? So we learn patience. We learn the gifts of the Spirit. We learn so many things. Hopefully this child doesn't have a photographic memory. <laughs> no, I see that you have him otherwise. I'm not, I'm not concerned. I'm just having a fun. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's distracted. That's good. So did that answer your question? I think it was an excellent question. So I feel very comfortable satisfying my husband or vice versa if the other person, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think to remember it's a loving act. It's not a scratch my back. You know, although there are times when you definitely, it feels like a, um, you know, there is a release in all of that. There's a lot of blessing that comes from having a climax. You can, you can relax. You can, it's a stress reliever. It, it connects you with your spouse, maybe during a very stressful time, those kinds of things. So it can be very much a blessing. Anyone else? Any questions? Yes. They're recording it, and so that way people can hear the question. Oh, yeah. Yes. That is such a great question, and I... I I'm sad to tell you that I really don't know as far as resources. I do remember when my children were little in the library, I actually found this beautiful, it says, so that's how I was made. It was a lovely little book that talked about the different body changes. And it would show uh, genitalia in a very uh, good way, a very clinical type way, and talk about, you know, how hair will grow and it's a protection, it keeps everything kind of the same temperature and those kinds of functional type things. 
I don't know of a resource off the top of my head, but you're right. There's a lot more for girls than there is for boys. If your husband's not comfortable talking about it, I would just say talking to him about it and how it's exciting. And as he gets older, you know, his penis will grow. He'll get haired. My mother used to say, um, well, actually, let me tell you a story to illustrate that. I remember one time, my curiousness, I was about 12 years old, 12 or 13. I might have been 13. And my aunt was moving into this new house. And you know how it is to run through a house and you open all the cupboards and the doors and the drawers and you're just inspecting. It was so exciting. And she was moving into a house about a half a mile from our home. So we walked down there to see her house. She had just gotten the key. And we opened it up and we went through the cupboards and the drawers and we were looking. And I went into the master bedroom and I opened up the closet and there was a centerfold out of a Playgirl magazine. Trust me, I will never forget him. Okay, and he was standing, this guy was standing beside his motorcycle out in the woods, ferns, green ferns and trees, and he's all by himself out there in a very natural state. He didn't have an erection, nothing, just standing there naked, and he was a beautiful specimen of a man. And I knew my brothers and sisters would be right behind me, so I took it off the, took it off the wall, um, folded it up, stuffed it in my coat, and ran all the way home. Who do I want to talk to about it? Mom, why? Because she'd been my reference for everything I wanted to know. So it wasn't that I wanted to show it to a friend. I grabbed her. Mom, come here, come here. And I pulled her in the bathroom, locked the door, and said, look. <laughs> now let me tell you something. Would it be really important not to have the shock factor thing going on, right? She goes, well, it was interesting. Just a couple weeks before that, I'd said to her, Mom, what does that naked man look like? I want to know. She said, well, sissy, um, you've seen your brothers. They just kind of look like that with hair and da-da-da. And God made bodies so beautiful, she said. This is an important part. She said, you know, men, the hair on their chest usually matches their pubic hair. And, and you know, and women, you know, I don't know why we shave our legs, but we do and all that. But she talked about how beautiful and symmetrical that God made the body. So, And she did that when we were quite young. Okay, so just to give you that reference, I think that's important. There's a lot of body shame and a lot of embarrassment. Not that we, you know, she also taught us we wore shorts and a tank top and swim in the river. And she'd say, oh, you don't need a bathing suit. Why do you want to wear bra and underwear out in front of everybody? That made sense. So, I mean, she was all about being modest, but there was nothing embarrassing to hide. It was just because you were special. So, anyway, I go, Mom, look. She said, oh, oh. And she had said, well, I said, no, that doesn't, I've seen my brothers, but I want to see a grown man. She said, well, honey, I don't think your father will pose, so I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> said, mother, it wasn't him I had in mind, right? So anyway, here I have this, then two weeks later, here I am with this poster. She said, well, sissy, you were saying you wanted to see a naked man. That is a very good picture. <laughs> she pointed out how God made his body beautiful. And everything. And then she said, I said to her, she said, but you know, unfortunately, that's not why this picture was made, to glorify God. I said, well, then why was it made? I had no idea. And she said, well, you know, it could be that the lady who lived there, that was back then, the lady who lived there may have put that on her closet so that she could lust after him and think, oh, I wish I was married to him. Isn't he handsome? Doesn't he have a nice body? So I'm listening to her. And I said, but, and then she said, but sissy, tell me, is he kind? 
If something happened and she was paralyzed, would he feed her and take care of her? I said, I don't know. She said, neither do I. She said, is he unselfish? Does he love Jesus, so therefore he's not selfish, but he thinks about his wife first? I said, I don't know. She said, neither do I. And she said, and she began to just go through some characteristics. And then she said, Tammy, think of people at church that we know. Do you know of anyone at church that's just really, really pretty? But you've gotten to know them, and they're not so pretty on the inside, and so you don't even think of them as pretty anymore? We thought of someone. And then she said, then think of somebody we know that's not really that attractive. They may not have the prettiest features, but we've gotten to know them, and they are so wonderful that we think of them as pretty, and we thought of someone. And she said, it's just like this picture. We know that God made him with a beautiful body, but we don't know anything else. So why would we want to lust after him? Why would we want to wish we were married to him? Because it's just a body. That made so much sense to me. And it just really, really helped shape how I looked for a man. Did I appreciate looks? Absolutely. On my 5 by 7 card, I had tall, because I'm tall, dark, because I love my mother's dark hair and blue eyes, blue eyes, and by the way, I got all that. I did. He's tall, dark, and handsome, dark, lots of dark hair. Oh, and I wanted a guy with a hairy chest. He has probably more hair on his back than most men have on their chest. But anyway, maybe that's TMI. Oh, dear, that's going to get out. No, he's going to love that. We'll have to ask them to edit that part. Anyway, my point is that God cares about that, too. It's okay. Tell your teenagers. If there's some attribute that you really like, pray about it. God is amazing. He really is amazing. And so I learned I could trust God. I remember an academy. Um, one of my friends saying, really, you're going to let God choose your mate? If you do that, you'll get some guy with horn rim glasses who's skinny and sits around and reads his Bible all the time. I thought, what a, what a vision, right? I said, no, he's going to be tall, dark, and handsome, and he's going to love Jesus. And I thought, right, Lord? Right? So do you know what I'm saying? What I'm saying is God is wonderful, and we can trust him, and we can encourage our young people to trust him with um, with, the, with those desires of their heart. Did I answer your question? Probably a thousand ways, right? <laughs> okay. Tammy, I yes. I just want to have you speak to this. Uh, the statistics show that um, children are being exposed to pornography very young, eight, as young as eight years old. So how, how, can you, how can you prepare our children ahead of time for okay the thing that I believe with all my heart is you need to have deadbolt locks on your um, on your devices Absolutely, you need to have, um, there's wonderful spyware and there's wonderful, um, you know, tools that you can put on your computer, your, you know, your iPads, uh, even phones. And I think it's so important because once those images are in your mind, they're very difficult to get rid of. And prayer can, 
but they're very difficult. So I think that's very, very important. The other thing is as you speak to your children and grandchildren about sexuality, it's important to inform them of that. <clears throat> and just to inform them, just like there's a counterfeit uh, Jesus, and there's a counterfeit truth, there's a counterfeit to everything, there's a counterfeit to sex. Tell them. There's the bad kind and there's the good kind. There's the kind where you're more like animals crawling around and doing disgusting things. Or that there's the one that's a beautiful, where God made very noble people to love one another and express themselves physically and emotionally. And tell them that usually um, having sex is like the climax. It's like the it's like the celebration of what happens every day, all day long in the kitchen, before you go to work. It's all the tenderness that you express to one another throughout the day. But definitely, it's important to inform our children that there's a lot of bad stuff out there and to go there. But let me tell you, um, thank you for the question. One thing that I told <clears throat> our son, I said, son, I want to tell you something. There are nasty, nasty pictures out there. And when he was 13, 14, 15, he was very curious. And I said, but I want you to remember something always. That's somebody's sister. Just like your little sister, Kristen. That is somebody else's sister. And one day he was confronted with a situation. He was in a place where he should not have been. And he saw some things he should not have seen. And he left. And he called me. Called me from a payphone. And he said, Mom, he was 17. He said, Mom, all I kept thinking is, that's somebody's sister. That's somebody's sister. So I think we prime the pump. We educate in such a way so that our sons and our daughters recognize that some of those things, those are people, those are real people, and how awful they must feel about themselves to be able to do that kind of thing. In other words, they must think very little of themselves to become a thing. The other thing, as I taught my son, is that many of the magazines and the pictures that he might encounter online are airbrushed and they're changed and they're not perfect. They're not, they're not, or they are, they make them sort of so that they're really not real. People aren't real. A lot of pornography and all of that is just made to be very unreal. The other thing is it's cheating. You're wasting you know, you are cheating on your to-be spouse. You're putting in your mind things that aren't realistic and true. So I think depending on their age as they get older, to let them know right away there's a counterfeit. There's a counterfeit to everything. And unfortunately, when you get into pornography and things like that, it takes more and more and more. So back to my mother's instruction. She used to say, Tammy, make sure it's always simple and beautiful. Making love is simple and beautiful. She said, the more, the more creativity or weirdness you put into it, she wasn't just saying missionary style, okay? But my point is, she said, the more that you do, the more you have to have. It takes more and more to stimulate you. It takes more and more for you to come to the place where you're experiencing pleasure. And it becomes about the pleasure instead of loving and expressing love to another individual. And so those were the types of things that really helped with that. The other thing is we didn't have anything on our home that wasn't true. We didn't have novels, even Christian romance novels, none of that. She said, whatsoever things are pure, true, right? So we only had true things. I, grew, I didn't grow up with TV. Uh, with my kids, I had a Totavision, so I'd go to the library and I'd get all these 
um, nature things and things like that for them to watch. Um, uh, but we were just very, very careful. We moved into a house that had these big rabbit ears, and my total vision actually picked up some channels. I remember we were moving in, there were boxes of things, and as we were clicking through the channels, there was a Cross Your Heart Bra commercial. My son was 13. <gasps> oh, Mom, he said. You should tur turn that. So we turned it. And I was so curious to know what he was thinking. I wanted to know. So I said, son, what did you think about that? He said, mom, it's so sad. I could see her face plain as day. He said, she's going to meet someone on the street, and they're going to recognize her. And she was showing herself off. I said, good point. So I just think that we can't protect our children from everything in the world. I understand that. But we can do our best to make our home a safe place. And um, then we can teach our children the right way, just like the counterfeit money. When they see the wrong one, they're going to know that's not the right one. And so be sure in just being very honest with them that anything God loves, Satan exploits. Anything God makes beautiful, he's out to. And so, but we need to be responsible as adults to make sure that our children don't just have free reign on our iPhones, iPads, and computers. We're very careful. We have deadlocks, so to speak, on our computer. We don't want any of that garbage to be, get downloaded even accidentally. So we invest. We have really good um, stuff on our computer because a lot of times we're doing ministry of a lot of people over. What if a child gets on something? So I want my home to be a safe place even though I'm an adult and I don't have little ones in my home anymore. Did that answer your question? Okay. Any other questions? I just, it looks like we have just a few more minutes. Yes, there's a question there in the back. <clears throat> Oh, yes. And my question is, I remember um, about this, we see the same time, how to project on people. And at the same time, I don't want to be so relaxed, but how they can incorporate you someone less than this kind of thing. Yes. Thank you. So I just want to say um, that recently I have a very good friend who just left her same sex lover. And um, she came to me and shared that with me. And she said, the thing that I couldn't reconcile, Tammy, was that it's like a puzzle. She's a very intelligent person. She said, but it's like a puzzle. And she said, we didn't fit together. And then when we talked about having children, they could be part of her or part of me, but they couldn't be us. And she said, as much as I tried to make it right biblically, I couldn't based on those things. And then if everyone became homosexual and there was no way to adopt, she said we would soon, the planet, the race would die out. So she said it was hard for me to reconcile from a biblical nature. The, the thing I want to do to address your, uh, your comment is this, however, and that is that um, homosexuality is an abomination to the Lord. Lying lips is an abomination to the Lord. Cheating or stealing from each other is an abomination unto the Lord. And one more that I can think of, and that is gossip. You can slander and kill somebody by destroying their character. <clears throat> so I believe 
that when we preach it from our pulpits, we need to make sure we include all the abominations, not just one. We tend to really call that one out because it's so abhorrent to some of us naturally. But to others of us, there perhaps is a strong inclination. Let's face it, because we've all been affected by sin in some way. Now, sometimes when you say, well, it's like lying or anything else, you might bring it down to a level where you're feeling a little concerned. But I would say this, the biggest thing that we can do to help our youth to be inoculated against these sins is to teach them about why they were created. We were not created for our glory. We were created for God's glory. So how do I, Tammy Milligan, how do I reflect God's glory in my marriage, in my associations, in my activities, in my sexuality, in what I do behind closed doors? Am I glorifying God? See, God didn't, when he created us, let's say that I have... <clears throat> Let's pretend that I have an inclination toward homosexuality. What I say to myself is this, that's not God's original plan. That's not how I was created. Therefore, regardless of how I feel, I'm going to choose this way. And expression deepens impression. The more I speak of and live the way that I should, the feelings and emotions follow. We are not stuck in a rut where we cannot get out. I was created for God's glory. To do anything else is to live selfishly into sin. So it isn't really about homosexuality. It's about that. It's about how am I living out the way I was created to be. And I believe that is so much more meaningful to our young people. And that made the most sense to her. I said, the reason you're not comfortable in this relationship is you were created for God's glory and you're not living into that and you're li it's leaving you empty. And she agreed. That's it. She said, that's it. I'm not living this out. And so I would say from the time our children are little, to recognize they are not their own. They were bought with a price. And when God made sure that little sperm came together with that egg, and they specifically were foreknown before they were ever conceived, right? In the book of Psalms then they can know that God has a specific plan. Now, there's lots of deviations and different roads, but I will tell you, if you go down them, you won't have nearly as much of a fulfilling life. To have the best is to follow God's way. Satan tries to color it with our youth and say, oh, you'll miss out. It's not as exciting. It's not as fun. But what he doesn't tell them is the side effects. It's like those commercials. Oh, take this medication. You may have liver failure, and you may have kidney failure, and your parts might drop off, but you will not have a leaky bladder. Serious? I'm serious. It's the same way, and that's exactly what Satan does. He says, oh, but if you do it God's way, it's boring. It's not as much fun. You'll miss out. He, he hides the side effects. The side effects to living into what God created to me me to be is peace and joy and happiness and all of those fruits and gifts of the Spirit. Does that help answer your question? So I don't think we focus so much on um, being homophobic because, like you said, there are lovely people in every type of sin that have, have been bitten with the sin problem. However, what we focus on is God wants your best. I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord. If you will follow his way and live out how he created you to reflect him, then you will be most happy. Amen. Anyone else? Do we have time for one more question? 
It's, we really don't, do we? All right. Let's close with it. I hope this has been helpful. It's probably been a little different than, than just how to teach your children, but I think sometimes being informed ourselves is part of the answer. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I praise you that we were created for your glory and our sexuality and expressing that with our spouse, our mate, is a beautiful thing. Lord, you put it right up there with celebrating the Sabbath because it's about intimacy and you love intimacy. That's why you created humans with free choice. You want friends. Oh Lord, thank you for loving us. I pray that you will bless the sexuality of every person within the hearing of my voice. Lord, that you would help us to be all that you created us to be and to reflect you in every part of our relationship as married and also in our relationship with our children as we teach and train them the godly ways of sexual expression. Thank you, Father, for loving us. And I pray that you would cause us to be the reflection of Jesus, of the Father and the Holy Spirit that you created us to be is my prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.